Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Father, I am so thankful for Mark chapter 16, because in the midst of the chaos of Jerusalem, you were still in control. And I'm thankful for the power of the resurrection, that as we celebrate Easter in October, God, that you would help us to celebrate the resurrection every day of our lives. Speak and minister to us through your word. Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. I can't believe we're announcing that we need candy for harvest. Because I can't believe we're entering the holiday season. In fact, I went to Costco. They already, this is a warning to all parents. Do not take your kids to Costco. They have already put out the Christmas gifts. They are there in the front. And you know what Costco does? The toy might be this big, but they put it in a box like this size so that when your child walks by, all they see is that colorful box I want that. Warning to parents, Christmas is up at Costco. I don't know how you approach the holidays. Um, Some approach it with great expectation. In fact, they'll go up in their attic and take down all their holiday lights and celebration and put them up. Um, And uh, your house basically begins to look like a winter wonderland. But some people approach the holidays just a little bit different, more like bah humbug. Some of them even approach with great sadness. Someone has passed and the holidays remind us of the loss. Or maybe a relationship was lost this time last year and that girlfriend said to you, I don't want you anymore. Well, thank you, Pastor Chet. I wasn't thinking about that, but now I am. (laughs) Some, the holidays, are just a memory of difficult times. So I want you to imagine, Passover is the Christmas, the holiday season of Israel. It's a festival time. And I want us to just imagine for a moment where the disciples are at, at Passover, a huge holiday where Jews from around the world, family from around the world, come to Jerusalem, and there at this huge holiday, Jesus is dead. He's dead. I'm sure this Passover festival, which is meant to be a huge celebration, was not quite the party at Peter's house. I'm sure the Zebedee family, Salome, her husband, little James and John, I'm sure that they were having a huge festivity at their house. I mean, the holiday had to be ruined. Jesus is dead. You see, the disciples, they truly were the dis. Disciples. They were disappointed. They were distraught. They were discouraged with their lives in Christ. Have you ever been there as a Christian? You ever been discouraged? You ever been distraught? And you're a Christian. Have you ever been to the place where you're disappointed? 
In fact, have you ever been to the place where every diss that you could possibly put in your life is happening and you're a believer? I wonder if they even felt dissed by God. I mean, after all, they'd given their lives to follow Jesus. They followed so faithfully and now Jesus is dead. I mean, this was not how they were thinking this whole thing would work out. They thought the kingdom, they thought the kingdom he was talking about was going to set them up for life. I mean, they're moving to Jerusalem. They're going to get a big house. I'm sure that uh, uh, Peter, James, and John thought they were going to be the, the, probably the vice president next to Jesus. At least we know they argued about it. Maybe Matthew, the tax collector, you know, he's thinking I'm going to be the CFO of the new kingdom business. And Possibly Simon the Zealot. Oh, he came from a military background. He probably thinks, well, I'm going to be a five-star general. Imagine the disappointment they were living in. God, you didn't show up the way I thought you would or I thought you should. Have you ever been there? It's Mark chapter 16. Take a look, verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint it. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? I mean, the bottom line is the ladies thought Jesus was dead. Earlier, last week, we studied in Mark chapter 15, verse 47, that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. They watched the tomb. They saw, in fact, at the foot of the cross, the Roman soldier pierce him with the sword just to make sure that Jesus was dead. They saw the blood and the water flowing out of the Lord. Jesus was dead. So much so, they were coming to spice the body. It was a Jewish burial tradition. Let me explain. You see, Jews in the first century world, they would put the body of someone that's died inside of a tomb. They would allow it to stay there for a year. Then they would, after decomposed, they would go into the tomb and they would take the bones out and put it in a small little box known as an ostuary. We have found hundreds of them from the first century world. The reason they did this is because there's not a lot of dirt in Israel. It's all rock. It's hard to bury a six-foot coffin, so they would put the body in a tomb. But because the body would begin to smell, oh, you remember John chapter 11, when Jesus was going to go into the tomb of Lazarus. Do you remember what they say? And I'll quote from the King James Version. He stinketh. (laughs) And so what the Jews would do is they would cover the body with spices so that when you were passing by the tomb, you didn't go... Hmm, someone's definitely in there. This was a Jewish tradition because they thought Jesus was dead. Verse 4, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. Now at this point, 
John tells us that Mary Magdalene, okay, so let me explain what happens. They walk up to the tomb wondering how they're going to roll the stone away. An earthquake happens. Matthew 28, the Bible says an earthquake happens. Mary Magdalene feels the earthquake, sees the tomb rolled away. She is out of her mind, and she runs away. She leaves the other ladies there at the tomb. Take a look. It's John chapter 20, verse 2. The Bible says, Then she ran, came to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. So she leaves the ladies. She freaks out, runs to Peter and John, and says, Listen, they stole the body of the Lord. But the other ladies, they're left at the tomb. And in Mark's gospel, chapter 16, take a look with me at verse 5. And entering tomb, the ladies that were there left, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. There's several things about this scripture that I absolutely love. And the first and foremost is this. I love the fact that the first preachers of the gospel were women. I love that. Because these women had faithfully followed the Lord all the way to the cross, and now they were given the precious privilege of announcing the resurrection for the first time. I love that. But I also love that the angels told the women, don't be alarmed. Now, I need to let you know what this word means. This word means astonished. Like, don't be, I can't believe this is happening. Okay, don't do that. And it amazes me that we have a tendency to make a big deal of things that are heaven's daily bread. We, we tend to, can you, you remember when God would answer your prayer and you would go and tell your friends that God answered your prayer, but the way that you begin it, you say this, you'll never believe. Excuse me? Like you prayed and the God who rose from the dead answered your prayer. Like, why would we start with, you'll never believe? I wonder what Jesus looks like in heaven when you go tell your friends he's answered your prayer. You'll never believe. Are you serious? Like, I'm God. I rose from the dead. Like, this is no problem for me. I mean, like, of course you're pregnant because I I heard your prayer and I'm giving you the desires of your heart. Well, of course I've relieved you of this sickness because I love you and I'm going to relieve you of it. And I, what do you mean you're going to start your answered prayer with? You'll never believe because we're astonished at the things that are everyday business in heaven. We're astonished at it. But I also love the fact that heaven reaches out to Peter. Peter wasn't feeling like a disciple. Have you ever felt that way? He messed up. He messed up bad. And he wasn't feeling like a disciple, but heaven wanted him to know, go tell the disciples. And Peter, you're still one of them. And Peter. You see, the power of the resurrection is going to give Peter a second chance. He can start over. In fact, this is what the whole gospel of Mark about. Mark's gospel is leading to this point that you can have a second chance in Jesus. And I wonder right now, is he calling your name? 
Is he saying to you, Dave? Is he saying Susan? Is he saying Sally? Is he saying Michael or Ron? Is he calling your name right now and wanting you to know you can begin again with me? Is heaven calling your name? You can have a fresh start. I want to show it to you. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Listen to what the Bible says, verse 1. To everything there is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. Can I let you know there's a season for everything? In life there's winters and there are springs. And I know you may be in the winter of your life. It's dark. It's dreary. Maybe you've messed up. But in Christ, there's always the opportunity for a new season. There's always the opportunity for the spring of abundant life if you choose to respond to God. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8, listen to this. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. Can I tell you that the end is more important than the beginning? Everyone has a place to start. But someone much much wiser than me said, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. We all got to know where we start. And if you're starting in the winter, there's hope for you to get to the spring because 1 John chapter 2 verse 8 says, it'll be on the screen, again a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing... And the true light is already shining. Every midnight has a sunrise. You see, I know some of us, we got a little darkness in our life, and light is trying to pierce through. But every once in a while, darkness raises its ugly head in our lives. But light is just pressing through because you're a believer and you want to do life God's way. And what the Bible is trying to get across to us is that every midnight has a sunrise. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 43. He says, forget the former things. Get rid of that darkness. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I know you think you're in a desert, but I'm about to turn that desert into waterfront property. And God has the power of the resurrection to say what he means and then to do what he means. And so what's my, what's my responsibility? Well, James chapter 5, verse 11, he lets us know. As you know, we count blessed those who have, here's the key word, persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You see, we've said it before, just keep swimming. If you want your marriage to change and you want to start over again, fresh starts take effort. And perseverance, not a pill, perseverance is the quickest way to change. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is hope for everyone. If you want to have a fresh start in Christ, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold. In other words, this is the Bible's way of saying, surprise. I got a surprise for you. All things have become new. God's surprise for you. Listen, 
Last night, we drove down to Oceanside, and it was my son-in-law's birthday. So when he came around the building, we went, surprise! He started crying. He was so excited. I'm like, dude, you're a cop. Stop crying. I love him. He's so sensitive and so strong. He's just this, this, he's a real man. He's like a King David. And we surprised him with a gift. God's surprise gift to you is you can start wherever you are as long as you start with Jesus. You're going to end up in a different place. That's the truth of Scripture. Just keep swimming. But you know what else I love about this text? I most especially love that heaven reminds the ladies, he told you he was going to rise. He said to you that he was going to rise. Because when God says something, he means it. And in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, the Bible says that his word does not return void. It will accomplish what he pleases for it to accomplish. That's the truth of God's word. Not only will he say something, he's got the power to do what he says that he will do. But the ladies are struggling with this. And I wonder if their struggle is often our struggle. Let me explain. You didn't do it the way that I thought you would. And you didn't do it how I thought you should do it. They never thought that he was going to die, even though he told them. And now here he is, what they think, dead. And he's not dead. He's risen again, but he hasn't done it the way that they think that he should do it. And they're having a struggle of faith. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 8, take a look at the Bible. He's told them to go and tell the disciples. So look what they do. So they went out quickly, fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. It's like they're afraid and they're happy. It's like an emotional upheaval. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. They were told to go by heaven, but they made a decision, we're not going to tell anyone. And I wonder, I got a question for you. Have any of you ever struggled to do something that God has asked you to do? Okay, three people. (laughs) Has anyone struggled with doing something that God has asked you to do? Is there anyone? Okay, a couple of hands, a couple of hands. Okay, a bunch of real sinner people over here. Not a lot over here, though. Okay, you guys are doing good, right? You've never struggled with anything that God has asked you to do, like when he tells you to forgive and you choose not to, or you hold on to bitterness when he's telling you that it's keeping you captive. Have you ever been in that place that these ladies are at and they're struggling to do something that God has asked them to do? They decided to be quiet. But Luke tells us, and adds to the story. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 9, the Bible says that they ended up telling the disciples. So I wonder what happened from Mark's gospel to Luke's gospel. What happened to give them strength to do something that they didn't want to do? I'll tell you. It's Matthew chapter 28, verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, surprise, behold, Jesus met 
them. He met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus says to him, listen to this in verse 10, don't be afraid, go and tell my disciples to go to Galilee and there they will see me. He repeats what the angel told them to do. Let me tell you what changed their mind. Jesus met them. And do you know that Jesus will meet you where you're at? If you're struggling to do what God is calling you to do, Jesus will meet you where you're at. He's got the power of the resurrection behind him to help you do what heaven is asking you to do. All you need to do is respond like these women and worship him. Because let me tell you something about worship. When you come to church and you lift up your hands and you give glory to God, what you're saying is you're reminding yourself that God is bigger than you and his plan is better than your plan for your life. You're reminding yourself that God's ways are higher. Now, I know you might fear doing what God is calling you to do. We're all afraid of the unknown. But you need to know that he will meet you where you are at and provide the power of the resurrection for your life. Just worship him. In Mark chapter 16, verse 9, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, take a look at this. They did not believe. Now, if you would, flip over to John's Gospel, chapter 20. We're going to pick up the story from there. Mary had went and told Peter and John, and they come running back to the tomb. Mary follows behind them because she can't keep up with these guys that are competing in the race. It amazes me that John lets us know that he beat Peter to the tomb. Male competition is sanctified in Scripture. I just want to put that out there. So in John chapter 20, verse 8, take a look. We'll pick it up there. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, John is speaking of himself, I beat Peter, went in also, he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. So the other ladies have left. They're going to do what Jesus has told them to do. Peter and John come to the tomb. Mary follows behind. Peter and John then go home wondering what in the world has happened. But take a look at verse 11. But Mary, Mary Magdalene, she's now by herself. She stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels, because this is a different time. The first time the lady saw one angel, now Mary by herself, she sees two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had laid. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Look at the perspective of heaven. She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. She's thinking wrong, but she thinks she's so right. Her theology is off completely. And she's living in the moment of misery instead of trusting God at his word. Can I tell you something? 
Just because you're thinking it doesn't make you right. Just because you're thinking it, it doesn't make your perspective right. Mary is wrong. And now, verse 14, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and didn't know that it was Jesus. And she's probably all teary-eyed and she can't really see what's going on in front of her. And Jesus told her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni. And then John, he fills us in what this means, which is to say, teacher. You see, Mary, she peers into the tomb. She sees two angels. And they go, what are you weeping for? Jesus comes on the scene and says, why are you weeping? She's in the moment of her misery. But as soon as Jesus called her name, everything changed. Do you know what Jesus said in John chapter 10? My sheep hear my voice. And when Mary heard the voice of her shepherd, she went from weeping to worship and wonder. Every week I encourage you to memorize Scripture. Every week I encourage you to be in Scripture so that you can hear the voice of your shepherd. And the reason I do that is because he takes us from the perspective of death Our situation, which is so miserable. Our circumstance that we can't think we can get out of. He takes the perspective of our deathly perspective and he speaks life into it. He speaks the power of the resurrection into it. And if he changed Mary's perspective from weeping to wonderful worship, he can change your perspective as well through the power of the resurrection. And Mary, all of a sudden, she's a different woman. Mary runs to tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. And they don't believe her. Their reality begs to differ. Jesus is dead. Their situation. Oh, you can't do anything about this situation, Jesus. My situation is hopeless. You're dead. What can you do? But Mary comes in. And she says, no, he's alive. She gives a message that he's alive and they choose not to believe. It's like one living in sobriety telling the alcoholic there's hope and the alcoholic refuses to believe the message of hope. That's what's happening. And I wonder if we often do the same. Sunday after Sunday, I give you a message of the power of the resurrection. And I wonder if you're wondering if this message is for me. And you look at me and say, Pastor Chet, you don't know my situation at work. You don't know what's going on in my family. Pastor Chet, you don't know what's going on at work. You don't know my experience. You work at the church and everything's great at the church. You may be right, but Jesus knows your situation. And I need to let you know a truth, a message, and could I be Mary just for a moment? 
with God, all things are possible. And when you go to God and he shows up into your situation that you think is impossible, that even God can't do anything with this, he comes in and he said, let me remind you of a message. I'm alive. I conquered death. I rose, I resurrected from the grave. If that doesn't prove that I'm the God that where I can do anything with God, all things are possible. What else could I do outside of rising from the grave? He can speak into your impossibilities. Do you trust him for it? They don't believe. So Jesus does something for them. Go back with me to Mark's gospel. Take a look at Mark chapter 16. Take a look, if you would, Mark chapter 16, verse 12. After that, so they don't believe Mary, and she's trying to give a message of life, he appeared another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And as they went, and they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. So you got a couple, probably a husband and wife, and they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus shows up to them. And this husband and wife, they run back to the disciples and they tell him, he's alive. Jesus is alive. And once again, they choose not to believe. Let me tell you what's happening. They're hardening their heart to what God has to say. And he's trying to rescue them from their moment, but they don't want to hear it. They're stubbornly refusing to believe because of what they think is the reality. They can't see beyond their experience. They can't see beyond their situation. They can't see beyond their their circumstance, but Jesus doesn't give up on them. He sends this couple, and can I tell you, he's not giving up on you. That's why you're here today. He wants to speak life, power of the resurrection, into your situation. You're not here by coincidence. You're here by Godowince. God brought you here to hear this message. Now, Mark chapter 16. Look at verse 14. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. I only wonder what's going on at that table. And I wonder if you've ever sat at that table of discouragement. I wonder if you ever sat at that table distraught and in despair. And there you are sitting at the table, I can't believe this. Our life is over. I left the fishing business. My dad's going to kill me. My, I can't believe my, I mean, my family has deserted me. They all think I'm dumb, and I really am dumb. I mean, I followed Jesus, and he said he was going to do a kingdom, and now he's dead. I mean, just imagine what was going on at the table. How will we recover from this situation? I can only wonder what's being talked about that table, and I wonder if any of you have ever sat at that table. Now, at that table, you have to understand what's going on. God has sent a message to them that the way that you're thinking is wrong. You think I'm dead and I'm alive. Your thinking is wrong. He sent another message to them that they no longer needed to live in their misery. They could live in the abundant life, but they had to take Jesus at his word with the message that was coming to them. They don't believe. So what does Jesus do? 
The Bible says that Jesus comes into that conversation. And take a look what he did in verse 14. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He rebukes them. Listen up, Christian. Because this is not happy Jesus. This is not kumbaya Jesus. This is not like peace, love, and happiness Jesus, okay? Remember how you felt when Noé was singing? It was like, oh, that's such a great song. It's in Spanish. I know Spanish. Oh, I love this song. I love, wow, he hit that note. That felt really great. I feel, I love this church. I just love sitting here. I love the air condition. I'm going to go for lunch after this. I just, Jesus is just so happy. I just love being with Jesus. This is not that Jesus. This is come to Jesus, Jesus. This word rebuked, this is a very heavy word. And let me tell you in our modern language what it means. It means he's about to serve them a piece of humble pie. That's what the word rebuked means. And the Bible says he rebuked their unbelief. Now let me tell you. Let me tell you what unbelief means. Unbelief simply means I don't trust what you've said for my life. I don't trust it. I don't trust what you said for my life. Remember, Jesus had told them three times. We've studied it in the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin are going to try me. I'm going to be handed over to Pilate. Pilate's going to crucify me. And then I will rise again. They watched everything happen that Jesus said, but they couldn't believe that he would rise again. They couldn't trust him. Why couldn't they trust Jesus? Probably for the same reasons we don't. Well, things didn't go my way, Jesus, and I'm disappointed with you. In fact, I feel dissed by you. Jesus, my situation is hopeless. I mean, I've been waiting to get married now for 30 years. How in the world can I trust you? I thought you gave me a promise. And after all, I've been doing it your way for a long time. And look where it's landed me. I'm no better off than where I was before I came to Jesus. Can I actually trust you, Jesus? Jesus challenges that way of thinking. Because just because you think it doesn't make it right. He challenges that way of thinking and he inspires us to trust him. Do you remember in John chapter 5, Jesus goes to a little pool. And there's people around this pool that are physically disabled. They've got some sicknesses. And he goes to this pool. He finds one guy. And the guy goes, I've been trying to get in this pool. And every time I try to get down there, when the water gets stirred, there was a Jewish myth that if the water got stirred, you could jump on in and you'd be healed. Now, we don't know in history that one person was ever healed. It was just mysticism. That's all it was. But this guy believed in a lie. And he sat there for 38 years years. Can you imagine that? He sat there for 38 years. And when Jesus comes on the scene, well, I've tried to get down there. There's no one to help me. He offers excuse after excuse after excuse to the point where Jesus looks at him and goes, do you want to be made well? And are we doing that with the Lord? 
Does Jesus need to rebuke our unbelief? I don't trust what you've said for my life. And he says, do you want to be made well? Because I want you to hear the message. Just like I'm Mary, just like I'm that couple that came into your table, came into that table, I want you to hear the message of life from the resurrected God. Listen to what he says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord, not your feelings. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own experience, situation, circumstance, your own understanding. Don't rely on where you are right now. That's the beginning, but the end is better than the beginning. He says, in all your ways, excuse me, lean on your understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will, he shall direct your paths. He wants to lead you out of the muck and the mire and into abundant life. That's a message. And let me tell you, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Now you're sitting there and you're going, I don't know if I can trust that message. You don't know what's going on in my life. Be careful. Because he also rebuked the hardness of heart. And let me tell you what hardness of heart means. It simply means I'm doing life my way. I can't trust God anymore. So now I'm doing it my way. I've been waiting to get married, so I'm just going to marry this unsaved person. God, you didn't come through for me, so I'm doing it my way. In fact, God, I so don't trust you that I'm not going to let you speak into my life because I know you're going to ask me to do something that I don't want to do. So I'm not going to let you speak into this. I'm going to do life my way. Years ago, I did a funeral for a man who rejected Jesus Christ to his dying breath. And do you know the song that he told his family to play at the graveside? At the graveside? I did it my way. And I wonder what that song for him sounded like in hell. You see, there's a reason that Jesus rebukes the hardness of the heart in unbelief. Because hardness of the heart is a humanistic coping mechanism. I'm tired of trying. I've given everything I've gotten. It's failed. I'm tired of getting hurt. I always put myself out there. And I'm tired of being disappointed. It's just not working out my way. So I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. But I'm going to be merry, and I'm going to be that couple, and I'm going to come into your table of misery, and I'm going to give you a word. Listen, it's a word of life. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. The Bible says, let us not grow weary while doing good. Don't give up on your marriage. Purpose to persevere. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Can you receive it? Or will you choose to sit at your table? Did you hear the message? I heard it, but you still don't have any idea what I'm going through, Pastor Chet. Oh, I mean, like my life is just over. I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't, but be careful of the hardness of heart. Because Jesus warns us at that table. And in Hebrews chapter 2, the Bible warns us of something. It's the reason why Jesus came into the table. 
We, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, the message, lest we drift away. I can't trust God anymore, so I'm doing life my way, and the next thing you know, you're out of church. You miss one Sunday, then you miss two Sundays, then you miss three Sundays, and the next thing you know, you're out of fellowship. You just drifted away. That's why Jesus comes to that table. In Hebrews chapter 3 says, Brethren, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. Unbelief is sin. An evil heart of unbelief in departing, not just drifting. Now you're leaving the faith. In departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. That's what I'm doing. While it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Jesus doesn't want any of us to drift away or depart from the faith. You see, unbelief in the hardness of the heart is evil. It's sinful. It misses the mark of all that God has for you. Stubbornly holding on to what was in your life instead of what is and what can be. Did you read in Mark's gospel, Jesus was dead and now he is alive. The truth of the resurrection can change our experience from was to is. Your present does not need to be defined by your past. You can choose to change today, and your was can become your is because of the power of the resurrection. That's the truth. Are you willing to receive the message? Well, Jesus is dead. The holiday is ruined. Mary comes in. Jesus is dead. This is the worst Passover ever. The couple comes in. I can't believe we followed him. See, you've got a choice. You can choose to be stubborn. But stubborn unbelief is deceitful. Let me explain. You may not even realize it's happening you. The disciples didn't. They were just living in the misery of the moment instead of the wonder of the word. You see, there they were at the table. They were just thinking, this is just my life. It's just my luck. Follow Jesus. Next thing you know, I'm out of a job. This is just the way it goes for me. When Jesus was sending a message, I'm alive. Just like I said. In their minds... They had a justifiable excuse. They had a justifiable excuse to be where they were at in life. I mean, Jesus was dead. They didn't believe him at his word. And there they are sitting at this table of misery, trusting in their experience instead of the word of God. And Jesus is trying to pull them out of their muck and their mire. And Jesus wants to do the same for you. He wants you to hear this message. He is risen. He was dead. And your was can become your is because of the resurrection. So why not take this message from the Lord that he's risen and listen to what he has to say? You've tried it your way for a long time. I got a question. Did it work? Did it work out? 
Why not give him a try? After all, he rose from the dead to prove that your impossible situation is completely possible through the power of the resurrection. He's got the power to turn your was to is. Are you willing to hear the message? Father, I come before you so thankful that you've given us your word. So grateful, Lord, that you called us by name. And now, Jesus, would you begin to speak to people by name? Call them by name. It's in your name I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, church. Peter and Mary and the disciples were all believers. But they were disappointed. God didn't do it their way. And there they were, sitting at the table of misery. What am I going to do with my life? God sends a message to them. There's hope. He's alive. They choose not to believe. So disappointed. But Jesus sends a message from heaven. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And I'm wondering if you're sitting out there and you've messed up. You're a believer. You have messed up. It's time for you to start over. It's time for you to have a fresh start. You've lived your season in the winter just like Peter did and now you want to live your season in the spring in the abundance that God has for you. Well, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to sit at the table of misery or hear the message? I wonder if it would have been different if they would have gone, Mary walked in the room and goes, he's alive and they all started rejoicing. I mean, they could have had a party of Passover. They chose to remain in their misery. Jesus didn't give up, and he's not giving up on you. So listen, believer. If you're sitting in your muck and your mire, Jesus wants to meet you this afternoon. You're struggling to do what God has called you to do. You're struggling to do what Scripture... You're struggling to forgive your neighbor much less go a second mile. You refuse to forgive because you've sat down at the table of bitterness. And the message of life is he's alive. And he can take your impossible situation and he can bring your prodigal son home. He can change your family situation. And maybe what you need to do is be like the women and worship him. So as we sing this song, I wonder if he's calling your name. And I wonder if today is a day that you want to make a decision that as for me and my marriage, as for me and my relationships, as for me and my situation and my experience, we're going to serve the Lord. And I'm asking you to do what these women did. They publicly worshipped. 
And if he's calling your name, Peter or Mary, you'll know because he's speaking to your heart. I want you to get up out of your seat and I want you to worship him publicly and say, today, I heard the message. There's life for my situation. I'm coming out of the season of winter and I'm coming into the spring of my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's time today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.